Welcome to Culture Wire. I'm Meg Schiffler. Here at the Arts Commission Gallery, we've just opened Trace Elements, an exhibition that explores some of San Francisco's hidden secrets. Later in the show, we'll take a closer look. On this episode of Culture Wire, we'll take a trip to Chinatown to check out art that interacts with the neighborhood. And we'll meet a man who is reinventing an ancient Hawaiian art form. We're so excited about that program because if you look at that space, it's flat, it's concrete, and we thought, what's going to go well here? And we thought we wanted an open-air dance party. Heritage, politics, culture, and identity. 31 artists from China and across the U.S. explore these ideas in a new exhibition, Present Tense. This biennial showcase is a collaboration between Kearney Street Workshop and the Chinese Culture Center of San Francisco, both of which receive support from the Arts Commission's Cultural Equity Grants Program. These dynamic organizations have gathered together contemporary artists from around the globe to explore issues of what it means to be Chinese today. Inside the Chinese Culture Center, on the third floor of the Chinatown Hilton Hotel, the present tense biennial features an incredibly diverse array of works, including photography, video, installation art, and sculpture, organized into four loose categories. Lost in Translation includes a large sculpture with sounds of overlapping conversations, and a collection of photographs that draw parallels between urban life in Japan and China. The centerpiece of food and industry is a cornucopia that's overflowing with a collection of fast food wrappers constructed entirely of black and white photocopies of the real objects. This section of present tense is wallpapered with Chinese restaurant menus from around the United States. Family features intimate family photos, highly detailed pencil sketches, and a series of painted chopsticks that illustrate the racial demographics of every city the artist has lived in. The final theme, misrepresentation, includes an incredible wall-mounted sculpture where twigs emulate written language. And a laptop is rendered useless by a wrapping of pretty paper. One of the most exciting aspects of the exhibition present tense is that some of the exhibition happens outside. There are nine site-specific window installations happening in the community around the Chinese Culture Center. I'm outside today with curator Kevin Chen. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Meg. How are you? Nice to see you. Can you tell me why you decided to bring some of the exhibition outside of the gallery and into the community in this way? Yeah. Well, it's a gallery that you wouldn't necessarily know was there unless you actually knew about it or kind of wandered into the hotel and just traipsed up to the third floor. These storefronts have been vacant for one to two years, and we kind of find it a win-win situation. It gives more visibility to the, the actual site as well as um, providing us with the space to interact with a, like a non-arts-going public. And beautification as well yeah. of the neighborhood. Uh, we're standing in front of this amazing installation by Ken Lowe, who's quite well known in the Bay Area. 
He is a local artist. Can you talk a little bit more about this particular installation? Oh, sure. Yeah. It's, um, it is actually a store. It is a fake store. It is called Lucky Feet Happy Shoes. Um, and this kind of continues his artistic exploration of his alter ego of sorts. And it's, his alter ego is named K. Lowe, and he was a bona fide basketball star before an injury. This iteration is another chapter of his kind of story, and he's actually created a specific shoe. So his, his idea was actually to create a full-fledged storefront. We, he even um, posted a Yelp site where there's now close to over a dozen reviews of this store in and of itself. Um, you can't actually enter into it. There's no business hours for this store. To actually find out more information, you have to walk a block and a half to the Chinese Culture Center and to the gallery to get more information about what this is about. And that gets more people into the gallery. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he, he utilizes all of the, the accoutrements that indicate a storefront. As you probably pull back, you can actually see there's a whole awning that advertises what this, uh, this project slash store is about, too. Let's move to the next installation yeah. site. In contradistinction to Ken's, which was an empty storefront, this is uh, Chinese for Affirmative Action. It's a local, nonprofit community service center. And the artist here is Tucker Nichols, is that correct? That's correct. How did Tucker create this piece? Well, with a lot of the community organizations that we worked with, we began the conversation months ago about a true collaboration where the artists could spend time in the community, spend time getting to know what these organizations were about. It's kind of a profoundly simple yet complex uh, solution that Tucker came up with kind of playing off the name of Chinese for affirmative action, yes we are, and the whole notion that he painted it on the inside of the window, um, just kind of looking at boundaries and borders of, of feeling like a part of the community yet not being part of the community, when the staff members and the people that actually utilize the center come back out into the streets, it's kind of like a very incredibly positive affirmative statement in which to kind of enter back into the real world with. I think it's a very powerful piece. It's great. Um, it's interesting because Tucker is not of Chinese-American descent no. or, or Chinese descent. No. And so um, I wanted to ask you about the makeup of the artists in the exhibition. How many artists are in the show? And why did you decide to include non-Chinese artists? Sure. There's 31 total artists in the show. And uh, I'd have to do the count, but roughly about six to seven artists don't have any Chinese heritage to them. Um, one of the reasons we chose to extend the artist pool to non-Chinese heritage, who don't actually have you know Chinese family, Chinese blood, was you know whenever you organize projects or exhibitions like this focused around a specific ethnic or cultural theme, it kind of tends to collapse upon itself if the only people that are responding to it are of that particular group. It doesn't expand it outwards in terms of a further, more deeper, more profound, broader understanding of what it is that we're trying to talk about with this exhibition. This unique perspective gives the show a lot of, of depth and a lot of um, variety of perspective, like you said, yeah. outside, inside, part of you know diaspora, and um, that's what makes the show so interesting, I think, yeah. all these different perspectives. Let's go to one more site. Sure. This artist is Ming Murray. And it's actually installed on the window front of the Chinatown Community Development Center's youth site, where they hold a lot of activities for post, you know, after school for the local Chinatown youth here. Uh, the piece itself, Ming did a lot of traveling in China um, for the past couple of summers. And this, this is actually a shot of a bunch of Chinese tourists in China. 
who are actually looking at different sites around their own country. And you can tell she did a little bit of photo manipulation before she flipped the image in upon itself, and it creates this wonderful articulation of looking in and looking out and looking upon yourself and who's inside, who's outside. It almost seems like what they're looking at is missing, and because she's made this mirror right. image, they end up just looking at each other. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. How does that play with the site itself? When we were installing this um, last week, we actually came across one of their programs, which is a senior to senior Mahjong class. They have seniors in high school paired up with senior citizens here in the neighborhood, actually just hanging out and playing Mahjong. It's a great way to kind of bridge generations. And they love the fact, too, that they can kind of see themselves in the picture, and yet it was, it was transformed into a very kind of intriguing-looking piece of contemporary art. So this idea of, um, of a humanist perspective, I know, is really important to your curatorial thesis. Yeah. Um, not necessarily looking politically at what is China or Chinese. Um, and can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, our hope, you know, going back to what we were talking about before, one of our goals for this exhibition was just to create a different understanding of what China and Chinese means today, rather than what we all kind of generally know as, you know, traditional, conservative, a lot of it based on food culture, et cetera, et cetera. What we read in the paper, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So yeah. we were trying to find artists that were really looking at different uh, definitions of what it was to be Chinese or, or what China means, all the way from family to representations and cultural misrepresentations of, of what China and Chinese means. Our hope is, you know, that people that come and see the show and see the storefront installations, that they can get a little bit deeper than the surface understanding of what, of what this all represents. And especially within the context of being here in Chinatown, maybe they can come back out onto the streets with, a, with kind of a more humanist understanding of, of what this community is about. I think it's as much as we can try to understand each other as people, in whatever regards, and based on gender, based on culture, based on ethnicity, if we can all understand each other a little bit more than we do, we kind of, in essence, understand that culture a little bit better, and maybe we become like an ounce part of that culture, at least with a, with a, again, like a more profound understanding of what the culture means right underneath the surface. So in that way, I think if we all became a little bit Chinese, all became a little bit Latino, all became a little bit queer, I think we'd be much better off as a society. Present Tense is this summer's must-see exhibition in Chinatown. The Chinese Culture Center is open Tuesdays through Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. There's also a special website for the Present Tense Biennial. You can see more pictures of this year's show and check the calendar for artists' events in May, June, and July at presenttense.us. On any sunny afternoon, you'll find people relaxing in Yerba Buena Gardens, the park between Yerba Buena Center for the Arts and the Metreon. The lawn in front of the waterfall is a great location to enjoy a sandwich and a cup of culture. The Yerba Buena Gardens Festival hosts outdoor performances every weekend during the summer. The entertainment includes circus acts, performances, and music from around the globe. South American jazz, French funk, and Viennese opera can be found in the garden. The festival is funded in part by the San Francisco Arts Commission's Cultural Equity Grants Program. Director of Cultural Affairs, Louise Cancel, met with renowned Hawaiian dancer and choreographer Patrick Makuakani 
to discuss his company's upcoming performance at the festival. The Cultural Equity Grants Program of the San Francisco Arts Commission is the largest grants program that we have. We have hundreds of organizations that compete for over $2 million in support. And with me today, here in Yerba Buena Gardens, is one of the grants recipients, Patrick Makuakani. Aloha. You have received several grants from the Cultural Equity Grants Program. Could you talk to me about what's been the impact of those grants for you? Well, the grants have really helped us to keep Hula flourishing here in the Bay Area and in this community. Our last Cultural Equity Grant went toward helping us produce a Hula's for Family show that we include in our annual home season. Patrick, can you pronounce the name of your dance company? Yes, we are called Na Le Hulu Ikave Q. And does that, what is the meaning of that? It means the many feathered wreaths at the summit held in high esteem. And, and actually this, this form that you've been creating has a, has a name, something like Hula Mua? Exactly, yes, it's called <laughs> Hula Mua, very hula good. Hula Mua, okay. Right. And it's a term that I coined which means Hula that evolves or Hula that pushes forward. Generally in Hula it's broken down into two categories, Hula Kahiko or traditional dances which are accompanied by chanting and percussive instruments such as gourds and drums. Then there's Hula Awana, which is a more contemporary kind of dance accompanied by singing and musical instruments such as a guitar, ukulele, and so on. Well, Hula Mua is a kind of dance that's comprised mainly of Hula movement vocabulary, but accompanied to decidedly non-Hawaiian music. So we include electronic, alternative, pop, disco, opera, um, I think we've used everything. Most traditional dance forms evolve. They need to evolve in order to survive. Otherwise, it would be a relic. Pretty to look at, but unable to speak to the present and contemporary time. We have a sizable repertoire of traditional dances, and I love and cherish these dances, and it is my duty to teach them to my students intact the way that they were taught to me and preserved for generations. Yet at the same time, I am a Hawaiian man living in San Francisco and my reality today is vastly different from that of my ancestral hula brethren. So I think it's important for me to create new dances and new forms of expression that reflect my present day reality. You know, we all have obviously have grown up watching movies where you have the hula dancers and so forth. But the dance form is really much, very complex, isn't it? Traditionally, hula is always accompanied by poetry and a lot of people think that the movements themselves are what the movements themselves are what the meaning is all about but really it's the poetry the dancing embellishes the poetry it's a really multi-dimensional experience you're seeing movement you're seeing the costumes you're hearing the words the it's melding with the movements and it's creating um, something that we hope is very special many of our traditional pieces were given birth by epic myths and tales and so inherent within that is a strong heroic quality or um, a kind of character that lends itself well to a theatrical production. Our show comes along with what we call a talk story format. So we weave narration in between the pieces so that it includes people on what they're seeing. Because a lot of the pieces are in Hawaiian, but some of them are in English, so you can actually marry the motions to the poetry and get a multi-dimensional experience of the dance, which is what hula is all about. Now, you were born in Hawaii. You came to San Francisco. In 1985, you, you established this dance company. 
what convinced you at that, in that year that San Francisco needed a dance company like this? Well, you know, I came to go to school in San Francisco, so my idea was to go to school for a few years and then move back home to Hawaii. I mean, I loved it so much, and I had friends here who were actually looking for a hula teacher. So I figured that, you know, I can fake that. I can fake my qualifications <laughs> and teach hula, but of course I continued studying as well. In 2003, I was part of a traditional program in Hawaiian dance and chant that culminated in what is called an uniki. The uniki is a very highly specialized traditional ceremony which grants you several titles. I was fortunate to receive the title of kumuhula, which allows me to teach a certain lineage of dances that was cultivated by the late Antimaiki Ayu Lake. Antimaiki was considered one of the most prominent hula masters of our time. I was wondering about whether or not your dance company has had the opportunity to, to perform in Hawaii itself. We get there every few years or so. Um, the hometown crowd is amazing. They really seem to appreciate our unique form of hula. And there's just nothing like performing for family and friends. So it's something we look forward to every other year when we get a chance to go back. Well, you know, the Cultural Equity Grants Program and, and the Arts Commission is very proud to be able to support groups like yourself. And um, it's really part of what helps to make San Francisco a really international city, a very diversified city, and it celebrates our diversity. And so, you know, I can't thank you enough for everything that you've been doing. Uh, and uh, one last thing I wanted to ask you is, do you have to be uh, uh, Hawaiian to be in your dance company? You do not have to be Hawaiian to be in our dance company. As a matter of fact, our dance company is a multicultural mix that really reflects the various ethnicities found in Hawaii. So as long as you're respectful of the process and you have a great interest in Hawaiian culture, you will be welcome. We just got a small taste of one of the performings in the Gilba Buena Gardens Festival, Nale Hulu. And joining me here is the director of the festival, Linda Lucero. What more is in store for San Franciscans this season? Oh, we have so much. Our season runs between May and October, and all of our programs are free and open to the public. We feature music and dance and theater and children's programming and also some educational programming. Your organization activates the garden with these programs. It's very, very exciting. This has always been envisioned as a cultural crossroads, and I, you know, I really work hard and keep that in mind as we do our programming. This year, you guys are expanding over to Jesse Square with some programming. We're so excited about that program because if you look at that space, it's flat, it's concrete, and we thought, what's going to go well here and we thought we wanted an open-air dance party so what we're going to do is once a month the first Thursday of the month we're going to have different kinds of dance but that are that are participatory we're going to have dance lessons and live music LaVey Smith uh, with swing she has a great following Bangra which is if people want to know what Bangra is think Bollywood so lots of colorful saris and there's going to be an MC and there's going to be drums people are able to just you know, kick off their shoes and dance. We love it. So, Linda, when I look over at the calendar of events, uh, I see that there's a lot of activities that happen on Saturdays and Sundays. 
Talk about that a little bit. Well, we have a great lineup. Uh, we have Linda Tillery and the Cultural Heritage Choir that is coming. We're very proud of that. San Francisco Mind Troupe is going to perform. This is their 50th year of in-your-face political theater. They're a real treasure for San Francisco, and we're happy to have them in our programs. We have Gamelan Saker Jaya, another program that's celebrating their 30th anniversary. And, uh, and you know, they're perfect for outdoor programming because they love the outdoor setting. People are well and audiences are welcome to walk around the, you know, the setup and see how they're doing. Your organization is one of the grant recipients of the Cultural Equity Grants Program. That's correct. Could you tell us how that program has helped your organization? Yes, we have a really great series called The Music in the Gardens 101, and this series puts artists um, in contact with audiences very directly. It's a narrated concert series. So these masters, many of whom live in the Bay Area, are able to talk about their sources of inspiration, the kind of music, you know, how it's related to other kinds of music, and the whole idea is to show how connected different communities are. They're different, but they're also connected. And so the audiences are also able to ask questions, come up and see the instruments that may be, you know, atypical for uh, San Francisco audiences, and the cultural equity program supported that and uh, without without that support we're unable to do these free programs. The Arts Commission is very happy to support groups like yours and uh, so the Yerba Buena Gardens Festival kicks off in May 2nd and goes all the way to the uh, middle of October. You know go to the website and get current information about the different activities they will have here and we've been talking with Linda Lucero the executive director of the Yerba Buena Gardens Festival. Thank you so much for what you do for San Francisco. Thank you, Luis, for coming down here. I hope to see everyone here. Bring a blanket. We have an information table. We're always there wearing our little caps. So come and say hello. We really try to create community in this beautiful space that San Francisco has always envisioned for artists and for community. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Luis. The complete summer calendar for the Yerba Buena Gardens Festival can be found at ybgf.org. There are outdoor events for children and adults almost every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon from May until the end of September. In addition to being the host of Culture Wire, I'm a contemporary art curator and the gallery director for the San Francisco Arts Commission. For the past year, I've been organizing an exhibition with the support of local artist Ferris Plock. The result is Trace Elements, which opened at the Arts Commission Gallery and the gallery's window installation site around the corner on May 8th. The exhibition features newly commissioned work by 13 regional artists and Hamburger Eyes, a San Francisco-based photography collective. The artists in this exhibition were asked to think about human interaction with the urban environment, the traces that people leave behind, and how that residue can be interpreted and be used to construct history. Each artist in the exhibition was chosen because of their remarkable ability to build and communicate complex narratives. And their works range from installation to painting and from photography to sound art. Sutro Tower is the focus of Porus Walker's Alternative History of San Francisco. The San Francisco Fog Factory features a detailed storyline of a secret fog factory run by 11 generations of the fictitious Bastille family. I feel like I'm, I'm sort of the uncover curator of this uh, exhibit. It's, it's a mystery to me why this thing showed up at my house. I got a crate 
UPS dropped off this giant wood crate and uh, I crated it and I found blueprints to an original fog factory that was built uh, in the 1700s uh, along with some photographs and memorabilia. Delba Steel the 11 was probably the most fascinating in that uh, he seemed to be an innovator. From what I, what I gather, he was probably killed by the city of San Francisco um, and all details have been hidden. So to me, he must have been a threat to them. I think there's some, uh, some things going on over at City Hall that they either don't want me to, to be showing this or... So if I vanish, you'll know this had something to do with it. Power operate kind of underground in any city or community, the way um, a lot of decisions are made through private connections and contacts. I started out by researching the history of San Francisco's private men's clubs through the San Francisco Library's history room, um, but it turned out the more that I found out about them, the less interesting they became. So I started to go with what originally attracted me to the topic, which is kind of this aura of mystery and secrecy that they kind of cultivate around themselves. So I decided to paint from those um, photographs that kind of recast them into my own creepier narrative. I think that the fiction of it is actually a little more telling of um, the kind of impact that the decisions that are made in those places in secret. I think the fiction kind of conveys that better. Secrets also play a big role in Death P. Sun's illustrated map of San Francisco citing real locations of forgotten cemeteries and controversial burial grounds. His project is accompanied by a Google map that places each location and provides links to more research. Trace Elements also has some very personal pieces. Michelle Blade asked individuals to take her to their favorite sunset vistas in San Francisco and the intimate and diverse conversations she had are documented in a book and the gallery installation features a soundtrack and an opportunity to step into your own sunset. The Hamburgerized Photo Club takes a look below the shiny veneer of San Francisco to reveal a hidden and somewhat darker side to our city. The images are high-intensity black and white documentary shots from 1972 to the present. Trace Elements will be at the San Francisco Arts Commission Gallery at 401 Van Ness Avenue and our window installation site at 155 Grove Street until early July. The gallery is open Wednesdays through Saturday from noon until 5 p.m. and admission is always free. The gallery's Art at City Hall program presents an exhibition featuring works by artists served by two incredible local social service organizations. In City Hall's ground floor gallery, you will see photographs from the Sixth Street Photography Workshop and works in a variety of media from the Central City Hospitality House. The show is curated by Joyce Grimm and it runs through June 19th. The Art at City Hall program is also presenting Bill Fontana's spectacular sound installation Spiraling Echoes. It can be heard weekdays from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. throughout City Hall's Grand Rotunda and Upper Walkways. This unique sound experience will remain in City Hall until August 14th.
artwork from Venezuela and the United States is included in the new exhibition Five by Five Pluralism. The Mission Cultural Center for Latino Arts will be hosting Five by Five Pluralism through May 30th. Their website is missionculturalcenter.org. On May 20th, the San Francisco Public Library will host an evening of readings by the young writers from the Writers' Corps program. The Arts Commission will present short videos at 5.30, and the performances will begin at 6 p.m. On the next episode of Culture Wire, we'll have highlights from the Writers' Corps event and profile some of the young artists. And bust out your tail feathers and sequins, because we're going to go to the Carnival in the Mission District to dance to the beats of Loco Bloco. You can send us your arts events listings or tell us what you'd like to see on future shows by emailing us at culturewire at sfgov.org. Thanks for watching Culture Wire on SFGTV.